0: The most efficient advice is to walk into the office of your CEO, look him or her into the eyes, and see if, if they are committed and you get true support, then go for it. If you see that it's only lip service, then do something else, because that will never fly otherwise. So, that is my most important learning during all years. You need It needs to come from the top, otherwise, you will fail.
1: Welcome to The Committed Innovator, where experienced innovators and unsung heroes share their triumphs and trials with our host, Eric Roth, the global leader of McKinsey's innovation and growth practice. We'll uncover the real stories behind successful innovations and take you behind the scenes with the leaders developing innovative new technologies and business models to unlock long-term growth. Today, we're really excited to welcome Peter Schellberg, CMO and Head of Global Verticals for Domenic, a company that if you haven't heard of by the end of this session, hopefully you'll want to run out and get one of their amazingly cool products for your home. So Peter, it is a pleasure to welcome you and looking forward to hearing your insights and sharing some of your innovation stories today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't we start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and Domenic?
0: Yes, of course. Dometic is, uh, is a global company. So we are actually the inventor of refrigeration. And that was exactly 100 years ago. So two guys uh, studying at the Stockholm University, Munto and von Platon, studied during the days and in the nights they invented stuff. Among uh, that, they invented absorption. And absorption was then this crazy idea of adding heat to create a cooling effect. And that became then... The first uh, start, so to speak, for modern refrigeration, which in itself is considered to be one of the 10 most important innovations during the last century. And we have evolved. So if you have a leisure vehicle, meaning if you have a camper or a mobile home or a, a leisure boat or even a super yacht, you will have a domestic product in that vehicle because there is not a vehicle in the world that is produced that doesn't contain uh, products from domestic. So now we are uh, moving further into the sport and outdoor industry with new uh, solutions. And uh, on top of that, we also have now a domestic home, which is quite cool products then for enhancing your experience around food and beverages in your house. So it sounds like Dementic really is focused on
1: evolving its business in and around, would it be fair to say, the lifestyle
0: of consumers? We also have a professional business, but main part uh, is around the end consumer. And uh, it has been around mobility for a very long time. So if you want to take, if you have, want to have an outdoor experience and you want to utilize a vehicle to go out there in nature we are an enabler of that experience since a huge part of if you go out in nature will still be around climate solution it will be around sanitation it will definitely be around having something to eat and drink we are taking that technology and coming back to our heritage again around refrigeration and now transfer that into really good solution also uh, in the residential arena so it sounds like the, the business
1: is evolving. How do you actually set the right kind of aspiration and brand positioning when you're moving into new categories uh, so rapidly and trying to chase
0: growth? When we did the reposition of the company in front of the stock listing uh, in 2015, I consolidated around 60, 70 brands into one. So that was really, we started to create ordering chaos. Uh, and then we have acquired, we're quite acquisitive companies, So I think we have acquired like 34 or more brands that we then have consolidated also down to Dometic. So that is a challenge in itself, of course, that requires then a very strong platform. So it allows you to take some steps in certain directions. Still, the fence around the brand has to be very clear. But you can, of course, then have a, a, a wider variety or you can be very, very niche. We have chosen the later.
1: And what's been the key to allowing the travel of the brand, so to speak, in order to take the technology underpinning and move it to new categories and new products and services and experiences?
0: I mean, There is no right and wrong in this. And I think each company has to find its own way to success. Uh, in my way, I've been working with this kind of topics for many, many years. So I started... In the uh, in the fast-moving consumer goods business, working with one of the biggest companies there, um, and then I went into the car industry. Worked four times at Chrysler for many, many years with their premium and luxury brands, and all those different roadmaps have been different. In my latest two journeys, it's all about the, the brand platform. We have really put that in the center of uh, of our, how we should steer the business going forward meaning and what to divest, uh, what to uh, maintain, and where to go forward and to, to create growth in the company. I think the last two of those journeys, both Tula and Nometic, is what I would call a true brand journeys. So you can have cosmetic ones, you have, can have one that is only is an end result is some graphic changes, or you can do something. That really put in the heart of the company that have an implication on culture, recruitment, organization, distribution, uh, offering um, the way to market, whatever it is. The later part, I think is the most, it's the most challenging, of course, but it's also the most rewarding for a company. Well, it sounds like you've had quite the journey,
1: and you said Thule, you sort of glossed over that quickly, but you spent some time there as well, a company that many particularly who uh, enjoy outdoor winter sports will be familiar with. I mean,
0: general, outdoor active persons utilize the products. And the only thing we did actually was just to reframe the utilization of our products. In the beginning, when I started, it was a business-to-business company that... Uh, worked with the car industry to put something on uh, the rooftop of a car so you could ship things or you could transport stuff. Instead, putting it into another context, and if I said you're an enabler of the outdoor activity, it's very difficult to go somewhere skiing or snowboarding or biking or canoeing or whatever it is, surfing without the products we're not part of the actual activity but still it will be impossible to do the activity if we were not involved with it so it just then to capitalize on that uh, environment and that feeling what you change is then uh, the valuation you have many positive outcomes so one is then valuation of the company becomes completely different so you move from some kind of sub supplier position to being a lifestyle brand And that was done on a global scale in four years. So I would say that's probably, probably a school book example. And if you look at the valuation of the company in terms of share prices, that is just amazing how that has increased. We are talking about billions here, and it's all about intangible value. We actually lowered our turnover during a long period of time because we sold off a lot of business that didn't really hit the brand perception. But you didn't tell the same story. That's quite daring. If you're on a growth path and then you sell away a billion sec companies, that doesn't fit the story, that takes some guts.
1: Yeah, no, that, that is uh, absolutely bold decisions. And this point on reframing and then I think really sticking to the reframe, right? As you said, it's not just making the decision to reframe the business and take it, perhaps the brand to a new uh, new direction. It's then the confidence and boldness to make those decisions, to keep it consistent. Uh, we've seen lots of companies try to reframe their business, but then not create the consistency of decisions behind it so that the messaging and then the, all the implications, the positive implications of that reframe
0: don't get captured. And it has up to now been quite successful here also. We have doubled the turnover from 10 billion SEC to nearly 20 in five years. Uh, and with uh, very good profitability. It's, it's of course never the same in, in itself because you have different culture, you have different starting points, you have different uh, maturity level, you have different ways of the way you, the organization has, uh, receiving it positively or negatively. How willingness are you actually to do changes? Changes hurts. And there's a lot of people who is against changes. So how do you treat that? Uh, and, and so uh, the, that is, of course, not uh, the same from company to company, which means then that it could be harder and can be easier. But I think the, the basic, the process is the same. So what
1: advice would you give other leaders who are listening right now saying, yes, I'd like to reframe my business too, or yes, that's what I'm trying to do, but I don't actually
0: know how to get it all the way across the finish line. I think the absolute easiest um, and uh, most efficient advice is to walk into the office of your CEO, look him or her into the eyes and see if, if they are committed and you get true support, then go for it. If you see that it's only lip service, then do something else or do somewhere else. Because it will never fly otherwise so that is my most important learning during all years you need it needs to come from the top otherwise you will fail
1: it's it's amazing that you say that because we often talk with executives around the world about the difference between alignment and commitment and alignment is head nodding and everyone for an innovation and growth uh, will often nod their head and say yep that that's a good thing to do we want to do that but commitment is the ability to move funds, people, and have the patience to pursue a course for growth. And that's much harder, as you said. So I, I love the the sort of look in their eyes and see if they're ready uh, moment that you
0: just described. <laughs> How do you really know they're committed? Uh, but hopefully if you read people, you see that there is true commitment. Otherwise that will really, it will be noticeable during the process, but you because you see, Will they stick to their guns and what we have said or will they deviate and fold when you start to get resistance in organization? Because you will get resistance. And then uh, my second tip is to have be a little bit stupid and have uh, patience and a really thick forehead. Because uh, you will meet a lot of people who really want to do something else. They don't want to change. So it's all about persistence also. Uh, It it hurts. And you will have good colleagues, uh, very successful ones, that doesn't really fit into the new environment because they are not willing to change. They don't want to embrace it. And then you come to a point that actually that perhaps then it's better to separate ways because this is impossible to do changes if you don't get people uh, with you. And you can't do that by force, of course. It's it's about you have your own responsibility to create the carrot, to create the vision and the motivation to reach it. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who doesn't really understand it because it's not tangible. So how do you continue
1: to generate the energy and confidence that you're on the right path to your point around if you have antibodies all around you, basically saying either I'm not going to follow or I have a lot better things to do that are more important for the business. So good luck.
0: Yeah. Now, I, you need to set up KPIs that we can deliver on a short term and on a long term. And if you only have long term, you will probably fail because you need to have proof that actually the new way of working is working. And as long as you have facts that, for instance, yeah, I get a higher demand. I I doubled my visitors from the web. Then then it's very difficult to be negative towards it. But you can see actually it has an effect in the market. So it's a combination of that. But create some things that will have a very quick result. The low-hanging ones. And then use that as the proof and the motivation to take the next step.
1: So so as we say, success breeds success. Yes. And if you can get those early wins on the board, that creates the confidence. Or well, is the evidence that creates the confidence to then allow the organization to follow? Yeah, you mentioned something interesting on long versus short cycle businesses because we interact with some companies that their R and D and or innovation cycle is quite long, right? So if you're, let's say, an ag company, we had a a, a, a CTO of an ag company on on the series recently, and you know some of their science because they have to grow things just takes a long time, and so demonstrating short-term successes is difficult when the science itself is long-term. How do you see the differences between the long and the short cycle innovation
0: uh, models? At the end of the day, you can't jeopardize the reputation of your brand. So you can't take shortcuts on vital things, testing, environmental testing, or function testing, or whatever it is. If you cut Through that and you end up with a product that doesn't fulfill the brand promise, then you are in a bad place. If you are in that business, perhaps you can add uh, more uh, innovations that doesn't require the long term. Because my experience is if you are used to long term planning and uh, then also the smaller, simpler projects also become long term. So if you are in long term, then break out, make smaller things, but make them outside the normal uh, process. So become, create a startup in the normal environment and let them run it. That's I think that's a good way of doing it. It's always a balance between how do we overthink and uh, overtest between when why don't we act quicker and I that is very different from each company. So let's take that
1: insight that you just shared and now apply it to the world of today. We're in a pandemic and we talk to a lot of companies about what has happened to innovation during a crisis. And the thing that comes back almost always is speed, speed and scale. Companies have had to pivot pretty dramatically and accelerate and take a new lens to their surroundings in terms of what's changed in their customers uh, and their market environments. What has your experience been through, through the last 12 months as you've tried to push on growth and
0: innovation in this,
1: you know, really unprecedented dynamic time?
0: I, I think in many cases, some um, mindset. I tried in that circumstances because it, it, it really makes you think and act harder and faster than before. I've created in the setup we have here in my business area. I would say we have now four startups uh, with completely new, unique assortment that was only triggered by the crisis. Wow. And so how did you go about creating those? Uh, it, it's uh, You have your product roadmap and you have your uh, life cycle of a product and you add and you have three or five, whatever, how long that is, and you just add your add-ons. That is normally quite safe innovations, normally, I say. You, then you can take another route and saying let's capture the possibilities in the market. So, for instance, what happened with the pandemic, I will give a, a couple of concrete uh, results. So what happened with the pandemic, uh, one result was that the restaurant industry uh, had to really rethink their businesses because no one could visit the restaurants anymore. So then the already starting trend with uh, that people could order uh, food at home, and got it delivered to home that had just increased dramatically so that is now in 130 billion dollar market and its gross plus 20 percent globally just amazing so a lot of new players and then you can see that the logistics behind it haven't really followed the same so in many cases when you order food uh, it's a person, uh, mainly if you look at the city areas, at least metro areas, a person on a bike with some kind of backpack that brings your food home. So what is then the outcome of that? Yeah, The, the most minor problem, but I said about 10%, get a mixed, when you it arrives home at the doorstep, it's mixed because food are not meant to be carried in 45 degrees. That's the simplest problem. The majority is about the food arrives; it's cold, and nearly twenty-five percent are feeling a little bit unsecure because someone has tempered, contaminated their food. Someone after forty-five minutes stands in your doorstep. Where has this pizza been for forty-five minutes? What happened with it? Uh, So that was just an insight of saying why, with our technology, we are one of the world-leading when it comes to cooling and heating. We are creating uh, mobile solutions. Why not create a solution super simple that uh, secure then the heating or cooling or a mix of it of the food delivered home to you and that could be uh, connected so you can see if someone has tampered with actually the content in the box. And what is happening also with the uh, food uh, ordering online is that it's more and more older people. Who uh, orders the food, and it's from more and more expensive restaurants. So if you already on the basic level have like 20% saving, no, I'm very, I don't like it because it's uh, I'm feeling insecure or it's cold when it's arrived. You can imagine what's happened when it's older people with higher demands with more expensive food. That will only increase. So that triggered then the invention of the food courier box that we launched. Uh, and uh, i had a meeting with a a a fantastic company who produces electrical bikes we had just one of your guys connected us actually at mckinsey we had a cup of coffee we found each other i think this was like in september last year and then we decided we would go live with this solution so he with the electric bike we with our food uh, delivery box together as a joint unit and the fine thing is uh, I mean, if, if you just burden an organization that is already running and do a lot of stuff, and you burden, here is another, uh, here is another project, you can easily get that, oh, another one. So instead, this electrical uh, bike company, their designers among, they are, it's really the pinnacle. So each designer really loves the brand, they love the things they're doing. So by bringing them the design department with me into the project, I mean, they wanted to spend all the time working with this, uh, even after hours, just because they love to work with these guys. So then you create motivation around it. And we went live, uh, world launch, unique, totally unique product in January in that short-term front.
1: What I really like about that example, by the way, before you a second, is that it was a clear, valuable problem to solve. Uh, you have the technology and then the business model, you actually co-created with a partner. So you, it's not quite an ecosystem, but it's certainly a joint development effort uh, that brings scale, brings capability, brings talent together in a way that clearly unlocked some passion and inspiration for a brand they loved.
0: Yeah, yeah. because we are not we are not competing. We are only helping. We're only helping each other. Uh, so that, that has been a very successful, a very good relationship. And... If you only then can be very clear from start, uh, what kind of framework are you working under? So there is, I also worked in some where you, where you, you know, you work with entrepreneurs and so on, and then you can end up in some strange situation. But this one was uh, super, uh, super, and the end result was just fantastic. So now we have actually overloaded by sales leads from all over the world, from the logistic part, from the restaurant chains and also from the manufacturer of, of vehicles. So that is uh, the great one.
1: That's amazing. I think you're gonna share one more example I think we have time for. Uh, that was a great story.
0: So my mother, she lives in an elderly home. So she is like uh, six hours driving where I live. So to then help her with the, with the daily grocery shopping is of course not then uh, possible in a physical way. So, so I, I order food to her on the net Normally, that is not uh, uh, difficult at all. It's uh, You order food, and then it gets delivered the day after by a caller at her doorstep, so very convenient. And then uh, now, when the pandemic started a year ago, it suddenly went from a day to like a week, and then it went to like two weeks, and then three weeks, and then four weeks. And, and then they ended up in like you had to have uh, window where you can order was like a week away for having the possibility to get a delivery in as a, a number of weeks away. So how can you then plan your normal grocery needs, uh, everything from detergents to milk to eggs or whatever it is, and then you have to have like a five-week window. And then uh, it's looking at the analysis, you can see that there is food available. You can easily order and you can pay. There are couriers, uh, and there's really no, no 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 hassle. The pain point is the uh, timing, because everyone wants to have uh, the delivery at the same time. So then I looked out my window uh, in my house, and, and I looked at my mailbox standing there. So I had a quite normal-sized uh, mailbox, which was had a, a certain kind of footprint. Uh, and then I saw, thought that that, that one, I don't use it anymore. I have like, for all that real estate that that covers, I use like 0.5%. You get two letters a week, and that is normally invoices you don't want to have. And then it's just empty. So why don't take that real estate and do something useful with it instead? Why not create like a refrigerator that you could put on the outside with, uh, that you could lock or unlock with, via an app? So, for instance, your grocery delivery could be in the middle of the night instead. So when you wake up in the morning, you go out and fetch it. That means that you can utilize your careers on a twenty-four-seven level instead of just during a couple of hours a day, meaning that you will shorten the time going down from four weeks to hopefully back to a, a day or two or whatever it is. So that triggered another project that we started, and now we are launching uh, a smart delivery box. Uh, and we are aiming for, among others, the U.S. market this year, actually. Wow.
1: So speed and acceleration to chase a a, a known opportunity seems to be something in the DNA of, of both you and your organization that you work within. And those are two pretty incredible examples. We don't often get to hear sort of the logic of the creation of a new value proposition. So thank you so much for walking us through that. It's, uh, it's, it's great to hear how you think. Well, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. We try to hear from the voices of people who have really been there and done it. And it's no question that you have been there and done it in the terms of innovation and new product launches and new experiences many, many times over. So on behalf of our listeners, on behalf of myself and the team, really thank you for your time today. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I could hear more and more of your stories and look forward to uh, opportunities to do so in the future. So thank you so, so much, Peter.
0: Thank you, Eric. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find a transcript of this conversation at McKinsey.com slash Committed Innovator. We look forward to having you join us again
0: soon for the next episode of The Committed Innovator.